Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners, it is your black and white pick-me-up live and direct from the heart of London, live and direct from every single Fulham game. This is the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your skipper today and here's one hell of a lineup I have in front of me. Firstly, from Borough and beyond, our evergreen, ever-present, inebriated voice of discontent, it's Don Betts. Hello, hello. Our man on the ground, our man in the know, our multitasking face of the franchise, big up man like Jack Kelly. Good evening. And popping off opinions like pellets from a pistol, it's our perfectly poised Professor Ben Jarman. Hello, everyone. We are Sip here. Intro. Fulham have drawn nil-nil with Middlesbrough. <laughs> Riveting. Uh, the intro is better than the game. Riveting at the Riverside, I think. And Ben, you're going to give us some three-word reviews, which I hope are better than the game. They are, but just barely. Um, we've gone to Instagram for our comments this time around, and we are going to pick three absolute peaches. Uh, coming in at number one, I'm going to go with George Rossiter, who says, Rodak's tiny error... Tiny being spelt T-Y-N-E. Oh, nice, yeah. Mm. Big up GR180. Excellently done. (laughs) (laughs) The next one from Funkmonger is Hit the Rodak. Oh, yeah. Also good. Yeah, that is strong. Uh, And then we'll finish with J Money Reigns with 10-man tightrope. Yeah. I like it. A good smattering there. Very, very good. Well done, everyone on Instagram. Less well done, everyone on Twitter. Yeah. You've been been passed over this week. (laughs) Week. Dom, Jack, you were there. Yeah. How bad was it? You know, it wasn't... thing is, it wasn't actually that bad because... That's, that's incorrect. Because <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as you get the red card, the mentality with the players and with the fans shifts completely. It goes, right, we'll take a point. And, and we did so well um, after the red card. Was it Middlesbrough being awful or us actually defending quite well? I don't really know. Probably but a bit of both. A bit of both. And we limited Middlesbrough to chances. The Sombolonga was poor. And then on the break, we seemed to be quite dangerous. Joe Bryan was fantastic. And it really, um, it was just Kearney, just like with his like kind of slow paced kind of attitude towards the game and then playing the ball to Bryan and then that ball into Mitrovic and um, probably should have scored. But I was really pleased with the point. Uh, I thought it was one of the maturest performances I've seen from Fulham for a long time. Absolutely. Dom, I imagine you enjoyed it less, but I imagine you also watched less of the game. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a valid point. No, I think that, I think it was just Middlesbrough just are, are terrible at football. Like, <laughs> it took them so long to muster a shot on target and they're playing a team with 10 men. And yes, you can argue we played well, but I mean, Middlesbrough kind of helped by not offering anything going forward. They were sort of getting the ball into the right area and getting it towards the goal, but they weren't really creating anything. And I think that everyone say you go down to 10 men away from home, Yes, you you know you take the point, and our record there isn't great. Obviously, we got the one nil when we went there previously in seventeen eighteen. But what I, day? Yeah, what day? What day? But no, I do think that the game kind of was still there for the taking because Middlesbrough was so bad, and obviously the chance everyone will point to is the Mitrovic header, which you'd expect him to bury. But it's not like he scores headers week in week out. I think we've only scored three headers this season anyway. And he's got eleven league goals, so I think that that shows that. So yeah, I think it was. The less talked about the actual game, probably the better. I think it's more the um, what, what what results from this game and sort of how the table is looking because luckily everyone seems to be dropping points at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say this. I mean, one of the three-way reviews I saw was like we missed a chance to go third. 
But actually, that's more three words, by the way. Yeah. Well, it was it was in three words. I, I have paraphrased, shall we say? But it is one of those where, with everyone else dropping points, a point away, at, you know, a notoriously tough ground for us with ten men looks increasingly like quite a good result, Ben. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think it's a testament to our mental strength that we managed to get through that, as you say, away from home, a ground we don't like, a team we don't like playing against, and to secure a point. But yeah, I think we got really lucky in some of the results going our way, um, and I think there's not a lot of ground to obviously make up on, on, the, on the top five or six teams ahead of us, and I think it is a positive, and I think we can still march on and get those automatic promotion places. Coming back to you, something that Jack just mentioned was a, a very mature performance. Is, yeah. is that how you, you look at that? You know, it is difficult to see that kind of results, even if Middlesbrough were, as Dom rightly says, quite poor. Mm. You know, you have to marshal those things correctly. And, and it did seem like Fulham did that. There was no real big chances on goal, apart from a, a free kick that was mishit and yep. a very late chance that, that best did well to smother. Well, yeah, when you're down to 10 minutes, it's always about managing space and it's about managing the game. And I think we did that uh, to a really high standard and you have to be able to be on top of your game when you're down a person in a league with the quality as high as the championship has obviously I think we've shown signs all throughout the year where we're getting a bit more mature as a unit and we are playing with a, a good philosophy and a good um, sense of concentration I think more than anything especially when you come off the back of something like the Charlton game where you're behind at home and you're really on, trying to be on the front foot it shows a lot of mentality and concentration to, to bring that back. And and then I think, obviously, the Middlesbrough game shows that even more with having to withdraw one of your midfielders, um, having your goalkeeper sent off, and then having to recover from all of that shows quite good maturity. Jack, how angry do you think Josh Onomer is? First start in, in the league, you know, he's getting his, he's getting his moment and suddenly Rodak does that and, and he's off again. He's a, probably owes him a few pints, I'd say. Yeah, he'd be frustrated, but um, I think anyone in that away end would be like, if we got a red card um, on him that has to get subbed yeah, because he was really poor couldn't keep the ball he was the weakest link in our team up until the red card and actually when he was subbed there was a couple of cheers going up in the crowd going oh thank god it's a bit harsh a bit harsh 17 minutes but, of play or whatever but as soon as I saw the lineup, I thought why are we playing Josh why why, why, why not just play Stephanie Hansen who can just try and break up play but look I think he deserves another chance on him I just want to see what he's made of but from the 17 minutes I saw him he was poor yeah but what you got to remember about Onoma is that I'm not really defending his performances this season but he does generally look quite off the pace and I think Mm. you have to remember is before he signed for us he'd had the best part of two years out injured Mm. and had barely played for Spurs had not done particularly well at Sheffield Wednesday and then yeah like I said had had quite a sizable injury so I think it'll take him a while to get back up to speed again. Yeah, I mean, he did all right at Villa as well. And I remember him coming on in the playoff final mm. and be like, oh, oh no. God. Yeah, because uh, it, it was one explained. of those yeah. you know, moments where you're like, oh, this bloke could actually cause some damage. And mm. I was quite pleased for him to get a start, if I'm honest, Dom. And it's one of those things where I also would have gone your hands and that would have been the change I would have made. But when he came on, I was like, okay, this is an opportunity. This is a chance for him. And I feel a little bit sorry that that chance was therefore culled quite, quite early on. Yeah, it's disappointing for him that obviously his, his first sort of start in the league had got scuppered after about 17, 80 minutes, which Rhoda for some reason was complaining about that red card, even though it blatantly, <laughs> it's the most blatant thing blatantly hits us. I understand the screenshot probably makes it look a lot worse than it actually was. But yeah, I think, as Jack said, if you are going to be taking anyone off in that stage, it is going to be Josh Onema because, you know, you're not going to take out any of the, any of the wire players, you're not going to take out Mitch Rich, you're not going to take away a centre-back. So I think that, yeah, it was unfortunate for him, but it's not like we missed anything by him coming off the pitch. Well, yeah. And I, I do think that, 
your hand, I, I would like your hands to come in. I was, I would expect, I was expecting him to come in anyway, obviously with Harry Arter's uh, so-called injury. So I think, yeah, I mean, so it was unfortunate for him, but as Jack said, if you're going to take everyone off, it would have been Josh Arnold. Let's come on to the red card because it was basically the only talking point for the entire game. You're not going to find any debates here really it is the clear red and I do feel a bit sorry for Rodak because he was left widely exposed and mm. he had two choices which was expose himself to a one-on-one or come rushing out and if he blocks out with his foot he's a hero mm. uh, and um, you know he has spread his arms I probably wouldn't have done that <laughs> but at the same time when you're jumping in front of a shot or, or even a, a pass you know you have to do something mm. to try and make yourself big and it's unfortunately not worked for him well yeah it's goalkeeper's instinct to try and make yourself as big as possible regardless of the situation right but yeah, like you said, it's just the the fact that he's been exposed and in exposing that area for two games in a row now, that channel with behind left back and, and Tim Ream at left centre half, it's become a little bit of an issue for us, I think. Yeah, we'll come on to it. There's a big a big thing about all of our goals basically being conceded from there. We'll come on to that a bit, mm. a bit more later on. Yeah, but like obviously it's a, it's a major concern. But yeah, I think Rodak just does what his instincts tell him to. Yeah, like you say, if he says it with his foot, yeah, we don't talk about this. Yeah, well, we do. We just be like, what a save from Marek Rodak first half. Absolute bloke. But, you know, Ben Elliott actually came in. It must be hard in that situation. You've been dropped by the manager for, you know, someone younger than you who has less experience than you. And it's a big call to drop him. And he's come in and it's done absolutely fine, if we're being perfectly honest. You know, not that much for him to deal with, but the things that he did have to deal with, he dealt with well. Yeah, because I was worried going down to 10 men because they've got the likes of, you know, Fletcher and Bassan Belonga who could really expose them the back line but actually Betts had nothing to do really apart from save and McNair shot right at the end I think Ben Ali was like everyone else was mature and you know did a job and, and, and saw the point and got got the point and yeah and now I think that Ben Ali's now got an opportunity because Reddit will be out of the team through suspension to go on and actually cement his place and say and kind of prove a point you know he got dropped for the game against Luton and now it's a chance for him to be like look I am the number one here and I and I want to be the number one and you know the whole Betts Rodak debate can maybe be put to bed but Ro- I feel a bit sorry for Rodak like it was a big mistake but quite yeah I mean the defence exposed him not much you could do that situation but um, yeah good luck to Betts in the next couple of games that's it and and now he has that chance I, I think that's important that you know this debate's been raging they've been uh, you know and I know we've discussed it in depth and I don't necessarily want to go back into the goalkeeper debate but you know, now Betts has a three-game window minimum, you know, of, of, of enforced space. And, you know, he must be looking at those performances and going, there is a reason that Parker dropped me. And, and therefore, Dom, it's one of those things that he must go, right, I now have to improve if I want to keep this spot and, and really make it my own. Yeah, I think because before he got dropped, he he wasn't in... It wasn't a reason for him to sort of prove himself, if that made sense, because mm. obviously he'd been the first-choice goalkeeper all season ever since obviously Sergio Rico obviously loan ended so I think that we miss you yeah now 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 he's actually got a chance to prove himself if that makes sense because yeah I think he he now knows what what Parker's feeling at the moment when it comes to the goalkeeper situation he might he might be thinking that you know Parker could possibly be looking for a goalkeeper to sign in January and he wants to give him a reason not to you know he was in in two or three England squads last season understandably as a fourth goalkeeper but he's still in the England squad and that's that's credit to him so I think he's really going to want to prove himself here. I just hope he doesn't want to prove himself too much, if that makes Get sense. Get sent off in the next game. We've yeah. got Magnus Norman in goal no, for a shout out Magnus this, Norman. This is a point I was going to, going to raise it on the follow-on to Dom's. Like, 
Actually, this is something I really do admire about Betts because every time he's faced with adversity and he's been dropped, what, three times now by us? Every single time when he's been reinstated as the goalie for the first 10, 12, handful of games, for example, he's done exceptionally well and he always seems to raise his game and I think that makes us more solid. But there's always something about him. I think it's either a case that he enjoys the comfort of being a number one with no real challenge, that he always just steps off just a tiny little bit and I just wish he'd keep his concentration that he has in those first few games after he's been reinstated for the remainder of the campaign so we didn't have to you know, bring another keeper in. We don't have to have these debates and Fulham can actually have one keeper for the whole season for once. It makes a... Well, that would make a change. <laughs> but I mean, that I suppose, it, you know, to come back to that, it, there's a reason that he's been dropped in these three seasons and fair play to him for fighting back and, and working for his place and all of those things because he should be given credit mm. for that loyalty as he's an underrated value in this sport these days. But, I mean, Jack, it's one of those ones where Rodak's made a, a massive mistake now and, and Michael actually asked this on Twitter. He said, when Rodak served his suspension, does he get his spot back? And I suppose the answer is it depends what happens in the next yeah, three games, right? Exactly. So the next three are um, Hull, Birmingham and then... QPR so at least Betts is going to get that nice big derby and if he pulls up a performance against Queensland Rangers and we get three points I'm sure he'll he'll keep his place I think Rolex probably got a long way to go now because he's made that mistake he's got the red card I mean, we haven't seen Betts do anything like that in a, um, in a long while or I can't remember any chance where he's done that but so in that in respect I think Bettinelli has now got until at least Christmas like in the first team I think I don't see Rolex getting back in unless Bets makes a howler or anything like that. But um, on the point of that, I, it's actually, it's quite bold of Parker because he did drop bets when, you know, the pressure was, was building on him and he has dropped Sessignon as well. So it kind of just keeps all the players on their toes. You know, you're not guaranteed to start in this league. We've got a quite congested midfield. And uh, I, I like that from Parker. I, I like the fact that, you know, Sessignon played well, but but now he's you know, he's made a couple of mistakes and he's out of the team. And, and that is the kind of ruthless competition you want in the squad to, in, in order to try and get promotion. Absolutely. In terms of the rest of the game, Dom, you know, I know, I know it wasn't a good game, but there, there were players that stood out and two that, that were really good for me were Tom Kearney and I thought Ivan Cavallero had a, a really good game in terms of just creating space for people because when you have 10, it's very difficult to get off your own goal line occasionally. You know, you get pinned back and Cav did really well in terms of just getting down giving us a little bit of a breather and just sort of resting. And it was Kearney's passes that were really releasing him for most of those. Yeah, I've mentioned it quite a lot of times, actually, since we signed him. I think he's probably better suited to a system that has less of the ball. That makes sense. He's better work playing on the break. I think that it, it sort of suited Cavallero when we went down to 10 men because then he had a lot more space to run into. I think one cause of concern, which obviously we'll get onto refreshing, is Joe Brown's position. I didn't know if that was to do with us being down 10 men but I did think there was a lot of space in that position for a lot of the game but for Caviera yeah it, it definitely suited him and Kearney again played very well I think the club man of match was Mitrovic and then the Fulhamish one was Harrison Reed. Harrison Reed again with another solid performance Harrison Reed is class yeah and so you know everyone was sort of looking at the signing of him saying why have we signed him do we need him where's he going to play and he's, he's sort of making that holding midfield anchor position his own and he's doing a very good job there so I think that there are there were positives to take, and again, it's a point away at Middlesbrough. You know, it's 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 not it's not a bad point, and you know, thankfully, all the other teams seem to be dropping points at the moment. Everyone's sort of big up Nottingham Forest. They're currently sitting in tenth place. I think it shows you how close it can be that if QPR beat Brentford tonight, they go to second place in the league. I think yeah. so. 
it's ridiculous we're only four points off the top you know so I think um, you know, the, I think it's all about these two games between now and the international break you know Hull at home and Birmingham away yes our recent record at Birmingham's not great but overall we've got a fairly decent record there you know I understand Hull beat Derby but everyone seems to be beating Derby at the moment so I think that six points from those games and you imagine we finish probably third yeah. maybe fourth yeah you think third or fourth considering all the points everyone's dropping at the moment so yeah I think yeah we got the point Caviero and Kenny looked good Harrison Reed looked good uh, but I don't think it's too much about analysing players individual performances from from Saturday I think you've got to look at the collective team performance they did very well going down to 10 men and I think yes if Mitrovic scores at header we, we probably would have gone on to win the game because you know Middlesbrough looking like a barn door of a banjo so <laughs> I think that yeah, it was you got as Jack said, we we did a job, we got the point, but it's they're still with that chance Mitchell had that we possibly could have snatched the win. One last thing before we go for a little break. Big call from Scott Parker dropped Anthony Knockart. I know this is something that, that you want to talk about, Ben. Yeah, I, I thought that this change into into the system showed a lot of balls from Scott. I think it shows that as Jack Kelly said earlier and it underlines his strength in coaching and character that he's not unafraid to drop bigger players when, when it comes to it. And actually, something that I probably missed out on my review from the game on, on the Instagram was that actually Knockhart against Luton Town was absolutely terrible. Um, probably one of the worst performances I've seen from a, from a wide player in a very long time. And I don't think he contributed anything of any particular worth to that match. And I thought dropping him against Middlesbrough was completely justified I also thought given the circumstances that we ended up in being down to 10 men wouldn't have lent itself well to knock out at all and actually we probably needed someone with a little bit more discipline in there like Bobby Reed has and that pace and that the ability to find space in, conf- in confined areas to, I, to really capitalise on. I would counter that when Knockout came on, and maybe this is actually an, another part of it and, and yeah. Scott's strengths, that he did really well in terms of just getting on the break and allowing us to stretch the play when, when we really could have been under the cosh in that last 10 minutes. And it didn't feel like that. You know, you, you boys were there. It didn't feel like we were completely under it. We, we were on the break. We, we looked dangerous at times. And it, it didn't feel like, you know, sometimes it's like ball in after ball in after ball in. It never was like that at the Riverside of the weekend. No, it wasn't. But, but there were times where we were rushing and we there were times in the final especially in the last like five ten minutes we were just like pumping the ball away back to them and they were just like coming again and but what we did well was we just shifted them from side to side and they weren't really breaking us down and then there was that one chance at the end where they put the ball across the box that was the only danger i saw from them in the whole second half apart from that freaky hit the post Middlesbrough are terrible he, he, he's mishit that freaky I will refuse to hit anything yeah otherwise. it was really weird he's completely scuffed it and he's got very lucky that it's come <laughs> that close if I'm being perfectly honest well we will be back with a little discussion about tactics and a stack full of your questions after the break hi I'm Collins John and you are listening to the Fulham's podcast Fulhamish has partnered with theterracestore.com who have a great range of official Fulham merchandise with a retro twist. Some amazing products with throwbacks to some of the iconic Fulham kits of yesteryear. Right now, Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off. Just use the code Fulhamish when you check out. Uh, They've got some great presents, particularly with Christmas around the corner. So make sure you use the code Fulhamish for 10% off. That's at theterracestore.com. Dot com. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Jack Collins. I'm joined by Don Betts. Hello, hello. Jack Kelly. Good evening. And the Professor Ben Jarman. In the house. And the, the Professor, I'm going to start with you because we're going to tactics. Yep. Uh, and we've seen Fulham play three at the back, four at the back, four, mm. two, three, one, four, three, three fluid. We, we've seen a whole lot of systems this year. 
And my opening question, I suppose, would be, does Scott know what he wants to do? And does he sort of have some sort of system or ideology in place? Or is it very much just working around what he's got? Because at the moment, it feels, especially in that Stoke game, where we saw him carry on the formation from the second half at Charlton, it was like, oh, that worked. We'll just stick with that. <laughs> I think the answer is probably he's still searching and he doesn't quite know how to find the balance that he desires because there are parts in Fulham's game where you can see that there's unbelievable cohesion. So you look at probably the most advanced part of our midfield and the front, f- and the front four, that's probably where there's the most cohesion there but he's yet to find the balance where Fulham are totally in control of a match. And I think that's what he wants to do. I think Scott is probably setting the team out to be in the same mould as sort of like a Yukanovic slash Guardiola hybrid where he just wants to probably start suffocating games and, and take make a lot of control and start you know pushing the opposition back and really trying to hold on to the game via the ball rather than holding on to the like trying to outfox their opponents um, and I think that's what he's searching for but he's yet to find a formation that gives him the ability to control the whole of the midfield but also give him the defensive stability that he craves because if you look at Stoke, Charlton, Middlesbrough there are holes in channels and it does make sense first things first to say just put an extra centre half in there because it closes up that channel you know pushed O'Brien on one the Ranieri solution yeah you know just pop an extra guy in there but what it does is sacrifices something from the middle of the park and if you sacrifice something from the middle of the park you have to then lose an element of control in there and then if you don't want to do that you have to sacrifice something from the forward guy and we haven't got the strike force well we haven't got the strike force full stop in my opinion to to have just two people up front Um, because Mitrovic as much as we all love him doesn't have that ability to act as that lone front man in a a three at the back system for me well yeah he can't press because he's not very fast Jack you've watched us play in all of these formations where do you feel our strengths are Uh, and where do you think that we're let down I prefer I prefer us playing a full back um I remember when we when we were under Jakanovic, our main um, source of going forward was Malone and Fredericks on the overlap, and that would just create so many chances. We'd just overload the box. Um, but I'm, I'm noticing that we're not doing that as often um, with Brian or, or Cessignon or Odoi, whoever plays right back, uh, which is because always because obviously Parker wants to play this possession style of play, and and that's the system he wants to go with, and, and like it's all nice and when we have the ball and stuff. But um, I think if Hector came in and we we had a three at the back. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that would work for us. Although it would give more license for Brian and the right back to get forward. The, the, the thing that, that ultimately is the difference between the Jakanovic system and the Parker system is, uh, especially when you look at the fullbacks, is that in the in that Jakanovic system, you used to have the the centre halves would spread, so you'd get McDonald drop in bet- between the centre halves, and that's where the stability needed from that formation comes in. When you look at the Parker system. That doesn't happen. The the centre halves are almost always exposed mm. in the channels and in front of them because although Reed does everything that we want to, he doesn't do that. And I think that that's for me is just one of the things that where the the systems differ and that that four three three at the moment won't work. I actually I think we've played our best football when we've employed the four two three one. I was going to say like you know we've now not seen those flying fullbacks really for, for quite some time. And, and it was 
a caveat Stephen Sessegnon doesn't really do that and and you saw we talked about this when we were talking about him compared to Ryan very early on in that his kind of position whereas Ryan was a left back left wing for Fulham you know I still think his best position is probably at a three in a, in a possession heavy system but if you have Stephen Sessegnon he was playing right back right centre back he's not going to be that player that bombs on past the winger and gets a cross in so if you are going to ask for your your fullbacks to kick on then then that's a different question because Harrison Reed at the moment doesn't need to sit in between the center halves he might do if we had flying fullbacks but we don't and we haven't had for such a long time that it does sort of bring up the question do you need to do something different to make this work I think it's weird we don't have flying fullbacks but, but we're still getting massively exposed in the fullback areas yeah, it's, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very weird one I think as much as I think Joe Bryan's probably one of the best left backs where he can cross a ball recently I do think we do get punished quite a lot down that side. And I don't know if that's down to Caviero not helping him out or whether it's, I don't know, with it's saying about not covering over quick enough. But I do think, and it's, it's not just Joe Bryan, it's in, it's in the right-back area as well, whoever's playing there. I do think sometimes that it's weird. They're not bombing forward, but they're still getting exposed there. And I don't know if, if that's down the tactical system. You speak about a 4 2 3 one, I'd argue that is almost effective. But I think it's most effective when you just have two players behind TC, you've got legs. So I'm thinking Harrison Reed and Stefan Johansson there. Because then it allows Kearney to do less, if that makes sense. Mm. But still sort of do more creatively going forward. He's not relying on him to drop back and help out defensively with you if you've got Johansson and Reed there who can who've got the legs to cover him. So I do think that's our most effective. I'm still unsure on Knockout and Caviero. Yes, they're probably our two best wide players, but I've not been overly impressed with them. They've they've been okay so far, but none of them have really stood out as oh this has changed our team. So I do think four two three one. But then it's like if both of those wingers are going to cut inside, you kind of do need fullbacks bombing on forward. Otherwise, you sort of just it just doesn't quite work work as well. If you're looking mm-hmm. at you know teams who do who use inside forwards very effectively, they always have fullbacks bombing on and whipping balls into getting to the bar and whipping it back across. And I just don't think they're doing that. Which is weird because you look at Joe Bryan, he, he can deliver a great cross. So you'd argue it would work. You know, Bristol City did play left wing back at times. And maybe that is the formation that suits Joe Bryan the most, but obviously not the rest of the team. Because as much as you can say, oh, we would have three competent centre backs if Hector was to come in. I was going to say, this was going to be my next question. But then my point is that what I can't see what our attacking options would be in a three at the back system that would work. Because. Where does knockout play? Where would where would Caviero play? Where would well, Kearney that's the question. Play? Do they play? Like in yeah. a three at the back system, I think you can argue knockout and Caviero wouldn't play. I think you could argue you'd have, I don't know, an Art Arta Reed Johansson, two of them three sitting with Kearney in behind Mitrovic and Bobby Reed. But I'm I'm not too sure. I just at the moment I'm thinking four two three one. But if I if our inside forwards are going to cut in so much. You also crowds where Kearney's going to be because they're sort of all running the into, same the, space. Into, into the same space and then you've got the, the areas out wide which are often quite open which you know Sess slash Adoy and Brian aren't running into and, that, and that's why we get exposed in wide areas because if you get those all those people running in there's absolutely no chance that you can stop a press from fullback and I think that's where we get exposed quite a lot is that the team has realised quite quickly early on in the game that if you pass the ball out wide to a fullback whilst Cavaliero or Knockhart's not there, you're immediately on to either the opposing fullback, the defensive midfielder or the centre-halves. Yeah, it's like all it is, It's fairly easy to get out of Fulham and, and time and time again we've been exposed by these cross-field balls and we saw it again this weekend. 
um, for the, for the uh, Middlesbrough chance that Rodak eventually ended up getting, being sent off for. But I think it's all about balance. You cannot, you fundamentally, in my opinion, cannot have two two inside forwards, as you say, that cut inside because it's just not balanced at all. You become especially not with an attacking midfielder like Ken. Ex- exactly, and also from my from my opinion, um, obviously my opinion is nothing. Essentially, if you ha- if you take out a person in that midfield to accommodate a three at the back, you absolutely fundamentally cannot play Tom Kearney in there. No, I, I agree. Because although his well, his tackle input is massive at the moment, and, yeah, and, and massively improved, and he should be given due credit for for but, adding that element to his game. But I still don't. I still think you're right. But is that not just because he's got two people behind him as a safety blanket, and he feels like he can take more risks? Yeah, of course. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's the right answer. I'm just saying that he should be commended for it. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I, I 100% agree with you. But what I'm saying is that I'm not sure. Actually, the, the, having a midfield pairing of someone and Tom Kearney probably is a little bit scary because there's not enough not around enough him. Yeah, I completely agree. The question here from, from Ibs, and this seems like a good way to, to kick on to questions because it's all very relevant. He says, does Brian need a little wake-up call from Parker? Please check potential areas of weakness in the link below. And this is a tweet from Anthony B at Fulham Flutter. He says, we have a weak hotspot on the left side in was towards between left-back and left-centre-back. In order, Rodax red card, both Luton goals, both Stoke goals, both Charlton goals, Reading's goal, Sheffield Wednesday's goal, both Forest goals, Huddersfield goal and Barnsley goal, all coming from this area between Tim Ream and Joe Bryan. Mm. The question maybe for me is not necessarily about Bryan. If Bryan's going to play at left back, which we assume he's going to continue doing, is he? does he need to be complemented by a centre-half who is more mobile than Tim Ream in order to fill that space. And and this is no, I love Tim Ream as much as any of you. But the question is, can he play with Brian? I, I think at the first we asked, could he play with Mawson? And everyone was a bit confused about that. But actually, I don't know if that's the issue. I think the issue is between our left back and our left centre back. Because, you know, if you're going to have Joe Brian playing basically on the halfway line and trying to whip balls in from, you know, wherever that sort of halfway space between the box and halfway is... Do you need a centre-back that's more mobile than Tim Ream is to actually cover up the damage if, if they get through on those two and one? Of course you do, because this is a high-risk, high-reward system and you need someone to be able to cover when that re- risk doesn't pay off. And at the moment, I'm not quite sure that Tim Ream is that. And actually, it's sort of dawned on me in the last couple of weeks that perhaps the problem isn't Brian. Maybe the problem could be Ream, but I haven't really sort of admitted it to myself yet. I'm not ready to accept that Tim <laughs> Ream might not be as good as he used to yeah, be. But actually, could it be that we need a competent defensive midfielder in there to f- to make sure that we're a little bit more stable at the back, as the point earlier in the segment? Like, do we need someone that's going to be able to sit in there a la Kevin McDonald, but hopefully someone with a little bit more legs that likes a beer a hell of a lot less? To, to have that little stability in there. Kevin McDonald is soon going to be sitting in that seat right there next to you and he's going to be on this podcast because that's important, I think, for morale. He is my idol. <laughs> Jack, what's your take on this? I, like, I'm not ready to admit that Tim Reed might not have the legs anymore, but it is starting to dawn on me that might be a problem. Yeah, he's getting on a bit in age and you've got someone in Michael Hector coming in, you know, who I think should come straight into the team if that's the case. If that's the weakness, then maybe putting in a new player might rectify the situations we've got you know he can, he can play on that Reading at home game the January the 1st and if not try him in a cup game if we get a good cup draw and and we want to play a full strength then then put him in and, and just see how it goes uh, I'm excited to see how Hector um, 
might play for us. He's he's got good um, reviews from Sheffield Wednesday fans. He's obviously at the Chelsea Academy. Who isn't these days? And um, <laughs> who isn't these days? <laughs> Great comment. Okay. And then um, I, I yeah, I'm excited to see what he gives. But yeah, I, I, Tim Ream has been you know a hero at Fulham for for a few years now and very very key in our promotion season. So if he does get dropped, it will be it will be pretty sad. It, it comes on to this question from David Manning, Dom. He said, if Hector was available this weekend, would he start? And if so, would it be in place of Reem or Mawson? I don't know. I am still thinking Brian is still got a part to play in this as well. Oh, he does. Absolutely has a part to play in it. It's, it's not, it, this isn't shifting the blame I just one often, way or another. I often do think someone like Joe Brian, because, you know, he seems a very nice bloke. The fans seem to get along with him on social media. He's a, he's a huge fan. He sometimes does get absolved from blame on certain things, which he should do. Like, if you're looking at the Tyrus Campbell's first goal on um, in the Stoke game, for me, yes, Benelli slips, but Benelli slips. Like, Tyrus Campbell's already through on goal. Like, yeah, yeah. He's already got a one-on-one chance where, you know, 50-50 he's going to score or not, right? It's it's the point we're, we're making here that it is that gap between Brian and Ream and then who you putting the blame on. Is it both of them that maybe that's something that Scott Parker worked on in training that then Ream needs to come across when Brian's going forward because I don't think he does. But then Brian needs to understand he's playing with Tim Ream and not John Stones or Nicholas Otamendi type players who they won't be rushing over to. to it would also position. fall over. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I think they're both to blame yeah, in this and right. they just don't have that partnership yet. And are they going to create that partnership? Is it that... Cavier is often so far forward that Joe Bryan thinks he needs to cover a lot of space, which then Ream then can't cover. But yeah, no, that I think that first goal at Stoke completely typifies what the problem is there. Yeah, absolutely. There is a, is a massive gap and something that needs to be addressed by left back, left centre back, defensive midfielder, and goalkeeper probably. You know, they, these need to be called out. If the keeper sees that there is two hundred yards between, you know, your left back and your left <laughs> centre back, he needs to be letting them know probably so that they can they can you know tell each other. And the problem is, we're coming up against the whole team who are probably one of the best players in the league right now in Jared Bowen, who can get down that side and, and really expose us. And that's all Grzycki on the other side as well. So that's going to be a huge test for us on Saturday to see whether those two can actually um, exploit the weakness. Why are, we, why are we playing a hugely high line with two not far centre-backs? Yeah, I was thinking this. You know, and, and the other thing about Hector is, does he allow Alfie Mawson to return to his preferred left centre-back position? Because that is where... Alfie Mawson made his name playing in, in that space. Let's kick on to some questions. Uh, this is a good one from Carlino at Greenheart Radio. When is the official end of It's Still Early Days? Dom, I'm asking you. Uh, February. February. Like, not uh, It's Still Early Doors, but I'm saying February as opposed to that's when the championship table probably starts to shape itself to some extent. If you're looking at it now, look, what is it? Five points separating 11 teams, I think. Yeah, is that just because the championship's tight? No, it's because this year the championship, the, a lot of teams are just shit. Mm. I think is is pretty much... So are we shit or not? Well, most teams are, so yes, that includes <laughs> us. Um, so, well, I mean, if you, look, if you looked at that game on Saturday, that was a load of pony. So, um, it was... Yeah, I think that it's... It, everyone says it's, it's still early doors. It is, and I think as long as you're within... I'd say seven, eight points of where you expect to be coming the end of the season, I think you're perfectly fine. I think just, I know Leeds completely bottled it in 16, 17, but think about how many points we were off them in March and we still recruit that back. Yes, I understand we went on that run, but yeah, no, I think I it is still early days because, you know, everyone was 
talking up Lamucci's Nottingham Forest side, they lose two games in a week to two relatively poor sides, and they're down to tenth. I understand their game got called off on the weekend, so we didn't pick up anything there. But I think that it's still way too early, especially with where the championship table is. You know, everyone keeps saying, "Oh, Charlton will drop off." Who who knows? They take they got another sort of result on the weekend. So I think that it is too early. But I'm saying the table doesn't matter until at least February because I still don't think it would have shaped itself by then you've still got what 15 20 15 odd games probably between February and end of the season so yeah I don't think it's anything to worry about like you're four points off the top of the league if you said that going into let's say we are four points still come the November international break you said it's to start the season right going into the last international break of the year you will be in four points, in off, four the points off the top of the league every Fulham fan would be like yeah that's fine mm. because it's November or October so it's yeah I think I, I think it's, it is early doors and I think you could say early doors probably ends when once the new year comes in but I think it starts you, you need to start worrying I guess at the table if you're far off come February okay Jack Lawrence Craven if we don't finish in the top six will Parker be in charge in August no because it's the this is the squad that everyone's saying should walk the league with Leeds or, or with West Brom and, and if we don't finish top six with the squad I don't think Parker's done it uh, what if we finished in the playoffs and didn't didn't get promoted it'd be a tough one I think I think he'd, he'd get the benefit of the doubt because we did get top six but depends on the circumstances how we lose in the playoffs I think like, that is a case of he'd probably keep his job but the season was a failure okay yeah I can, yeah. I can accept that Ben, one from you, from Ollie. Mm. He says, when going for promotion, do you th- what do you think is better? Squad rotation or a very consistent starting 11 like that of 17-18? God, the, the boring answer is going to be a mixture of both, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because you you can't really rely on 11 players to get you the whole way there. We <laughs> we did in 17-18, uh, but it was probably around about like 14 tops. But... I think we've got much better quality in this in this squad. Bearing well, obviously we need a couple of replacements, probably in at left back and right back. But um, yeah, I think it's about rotation and keeping those players that aren't playing regularly motivated, happy, and hungry. Um, but I think you're seeing that from a lot of our, our subs. And like when Knockhart came on this weekend, played terribly against Luton, then was then commendable against uh, Middlesbrough. Uh, and there's been instances where Bobby Reed has been dropped unjustly, but then comes back the game after and puts in big performances. I think this is a, a unit that are very much on board with what the, what the club and what Parker want to do. So it's just a case of keeping them motivated and seeing them push on for the rest of the year. No, let's not forget that even if we are chasing a game and we need a result, there are there are cases where we will have really good players bring off the bench, like who can make an impact, like like Knockart, like maybe Bobby Reid, maybe Johansson and Kamara who can just do a job as well. So I think... I don't know what job that is. Yeah, we're, we're, we're still not sure. It's not football, but well, it's some other job. If their defenders don't know what he's going to do, then <laughs> it's an advantage to us. I think that um, our, our strength and depth is really important. And we haven't really seen that. This, we haven't really seen like a... Uh, apart from Bobby Reid against Charlton, we haven't seen a, a player come off the bench and make an impact on the game. Um, because Niskan's Cabana hasn't come on yet. Yeah, that well, is, he came on against Stoke true. and he did make an impact exactly. because we didn't concede any more goals, uh, which was good. Yeah, NK7. <laughs> but I, I would like to see Stephanie Hansen start a game. I'd like to see him play against Hull. I, I, I miss the guy. I was, oh, well, that brings me on to the next question. This is great. You guys are really, NK7, really fun. NK7, by the way. NK7, that's the thing. Thomas Pedro, Scotty at the wheel, says... Does Onoma get straight back into the team for the whole game? Because it would be a bit harsh to drop him after not giving him a chance at all. No, because he shouldn't have been starting in the first place. 
Hey, do you, I, I, maybe the question isn't, do you think he will? It's the question, or do you think he should? The question is, do you think he will? No, because he didn't impress in the 18 minutes. You got to Mate, take, he had 18 minutes. Mate, I got, refuse to accept that. You've got to take the chance again, I'm afraid. No, but... Like, but he shouldn't. He shouldn't have been signing anyway. So, like for me, Johansson, Reed, and Kenny should be that midfield three. Mm. And yes, Onoma didn't really have any chance to do anything. But when he tried to do anything in that game, it was awful anyway. So, I think that he, Parker. It depends. It depends what Parker's feeling. If he's planning to have a pair of bollocks and drop him, or if he's going to keep him because he didn't offer him properly a chance. But we're going to offer him a chance, and then he'd be shit again. Like. You know what you're going to get at your Hanson. I do think Reed and your Hanson is the best two to have behind TC because they're not two players who are going to try and be the creative player in that midfield. They understand what their role is in that midfield and it allows Tom Kenny to obviously do what he does. So, no, I would, I would like to see Hanson come in. I, I don't necessarily think he should play, but I think he will. There, there is my tell. I think that Scott Parker will play the same, pretty much exactly the same starting eleven. That went on Saturday. Well, Rodak can't play, so better. Apart from Rodak, yeah, no, you know what? That's a <laughs> you, that is a fair enough comment, Jack Kelly. I will accept Jack. that. I will accept that. Right, one for you, Ben. Gordon says, discuss our creativity at corners. What creativity at corners, Gordon? There's none. <laughs> yeah, we really struggle at corners, don't we? We're not very good at them at all. We should do short corners again. They were. We good. really should. They were actually fairly good. It'd be actually. It would be quite nice to see some sort of. I don't even know, like some routine. sort of like formation or routine at corners. Or just just to see some of the bigger players attacking the posts would be great. Or like getting in around the keeper. We don't even do that particularly well. Brentford have a set-piece coach. Yeah, like, Brentford do have a set-piece So piece do Liverpool. Coach. And so do so England. So do quite a lot of sensible clubs. Yeah, but we're like, nah, we'll just put the ball in the box. Like it's, the like when, it's like when we went up to the Premier League and just decided to fire our defensive coordinator like the week before. All right, NFL, Ben. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I generally feel coach. like we've got more chance of scoring from a corner if we just pumped pinged, it in there. No, pinged it to Kearney on the edge of the box and just hoped for a volley like against Wolves. I legitimately think we have more chance of scoring from opposition corners than our own. <laughs> what, on the counter? <laughs> like, legitimately. Jason Atkins says, in January, do we need any changes to our squad? Do we need a new goalkeeper? Yes, Darren Randolph. I mean, I would love it. Me and Joe Sampson have been banging that drum for quite a while. Uh, He's the best goal in the league. Class. He was injured this weekend, which was lucky. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really have any shots, mate. (laughs) (laughs) His replacement didn't have to save. Before the game, I mean, hypothetically, but um, I think that Johnston's got a shout at being the best. But I think Randolph is so good, and I was listening to the NTT Twenty on the way, and they were talking about how he might get into a starting team in the Premier League before the end of his career. And hopefully that's Fulham. All right, last question from Ashley. He says, why on earth are we really, 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 really good at putting on awfully boring games away from home? Dom, I go to you as our away day specialist. I reckon it's just because I think Scott Parker, when he goes away from home, is trying to squeeze the result out of the game as opposed to what we saw at Reading, which has been the anomaly because we were thinking of, you know, Barnsley, which we lost, Huddersfield, which he just about won, Cardiff, which we drew, Stoke, that we lost... It, I'm probably, it's not been good, has it? No, it's not. It's not been good. But um, you know, I think that is we, we don't seem to go away from home and seem to want to express ourselves. The re- the situation of the Reading game allowed us to do so, and that's why we battered them. Was it four one? Um, so yeah, I think it's Scott Parker trying to squeeze the result of the game, trying to get that one nil or two one win away from home, as opposed to going all out blazing and getting that scoring three or four goals. So yeah, they, they have been boring, but you know. 
it's the championship. It's not exactly teams often go away from home and absolutely blitz teams. We used to, though. We used to be better away from home than we were at home. Well, have, have you noticed that it, That Jack? wasn't blitzing teams, though. That was scraping last minute winners. It wasn't really, though, was it? Like, there was a couple. Ba- Barnsley, yes. Preston, Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough. Like, we were, yeah, there there games, is a real Dom. misconception in that season away from home that we were, like, battering teams off the park away from home. Because it wasn't happening. And even in that middle game in the first half, we were really under the cosh. Oh, we were, yeah. But so, then we won 3-0. I know we did that, but I feel like we're trying to just scrape these victories away from home and it's not working. I often think, and a few times Scott Parker sort of trialled things which haven't worked, which hasn't, which never doesn't help. For example, playing Josh Onoma in the team. Um, so, like... I'm <laughs> not having this. This is such a, like, an, like, this is a non-sequitur. Like, that, that doesn't exist. It's Josh Onoma playing in the team was not the reason we had a really dull, dull drab game in no, Middlesbrough. Just, it's because our keeper got sent he, off, Dom. He, he tries things, playing three at the back with two in, inside forwards playing yeah, that, wing That back. was weird. Right, so... It we'll has, confirm it has, that it has, was it weird. Has, it has been boring. Um... I do feel like Birmingham might actually be a bit because both teams are sort of, it's important for them because they've both got promotion notes this season. Birmingham are the team who sort of is keeping up the rest of the league when it comes to the ones who are chasing for the playoffs. So, I, I yeah, it, it, yes, it has been boring, but I do think it's just because Scott Parker doesn't really know what his best system or best team is yet. And, you know, there isn't that fluidity within the team. And, you know, even if we look at away from home in first half of 17-18, it wasn't exactly clinical and we were battering teams at the part left, right and centre. Everyone points to the Sunderland game, which we lost. And so, yeah, I think it's just typical championship away from home that it's not exactly going to be riveting every time you go. Okay. Jack, anything to add? It makes you wonder why you actually go to the games and why well, we actually go to the, the football. You need to remember <laughs> that. To be fair, Barcuda was very good on Saturday. Best pub in the country. Um, Stoke before the game was very good um, at that at the terrace. That was really actually. Can we point something out about Barcuda? Right. Yeah. You get a pint of Jaeger bombs. Yeah, for about seven quid, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you get a pint of Jaeger bombs. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I'm <laughs> vaguely into that. Ben, is there anything tactical you've got to add to, to Dom's thing about Barcuda's Jaeger bomb pints? Well, they're really good structure. Um, it's what, like a, it's probably like really nicely balanced Jaeger. Um, it's probably about seventy five percent Red Bull, twenty five percent Jaeger bomb, which is what you'd really want from that. The is, bar. That is the ratio. You're uh, for. Any other ratios are um, not the best, and probably you're in a shit pub. So I'd advise you to go elsewhere. Excellent, right? Tactically, it's probably because Scott Parker doesn't want to lose points on the road, and he's telling them to be a little bit more conservative. And I don't like it. But that being said, he is a brand new coach, and he's still trying to find balance in the squad. And I can only find a handful of managers that are really good from the start of their managerial career at finding balance in a team so good. Excellent. Right. Well, this has been the Fulhamish podcast. We have brought you everything from three word reviews to reviews of Barcuda's Jagerborn Pines <laughs> in Middlesbrough. All that's left for me to do is to name this podcast. And to make that happen, I'm throwing to Secretary Ben Jarman. I'm going to go with George Rossiter's Rodax Tiny Error. Pick up GR180, as, the, as, as Dom said earlier. Man like. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Fulhamish podcast. So ever make sure you are subscribed, locked in. Please tell your friends to have a listen if they are Fulham fans or indeed if they are not. All that is left is to say thank you, Don Betts. All right. Thank you, Ben Jarman. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jack Kelly. Thanks very much. I've uh, been Jack Collins. We will be back later in the week to preview the whole game. So make sure you are locked in and we'll see you very shortly. You whites. Selector.
ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. A cash recommends. recommends.